<laughs> Over number that's okay. one. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> now, can you do it in a harmony? Come on, guys. Me, 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 me. That's okay. The beauty of this is, is I can stop, start, stop, start. So whenever you guys are ready. Okay. Hi, I'm Alex Thompson. I'm Johnny. We're, We're from Elan Safaris. And you're listening to RNA Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors Podcast, where expert advice becomes real results. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that like to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. All right. Happy New Year, listeners. You are tuned into the RNA Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Paw, and we are broadcasting to you from a cold and rainy Paso Robles, California. I just want to say Happy New Year's, guys. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. <laughs> Isn't it crazy to think that it's already 2017? I mean, my question is, where did 2016 go? Exactly. Where did it go? Blew by, and now we're in 2017. Crazy. Yep. The good thing about a new year is we always have resolutions, right? I don't know if you guys do resolutions in South Africa, but uh, yes, in, in we the do. States we do. It's a pretty big thing to <laughs> do. I'm just happy 2016 is gone. 2017 is looking forward to a bright new one. Good. Yeah, it's always good to look forward to a new year and, and try to set some new goals for the year. So yeah, I messed up mine, so I'm going to try 2018. Okay. <laughs> you already messed it up? Yes. <laughs> wow, we're only a few days into this, Johnny. That's not too good, buddy. Yeah, I guess for the 23rd of January, you could still say that you have a resolution and you could probably still say Happy New Year. But in Johnny's case, we'll have to push it out another year. So. <laughs> Okay, so uh, as we always do on the RNA Outdoors podcast, uh, we always like to either have some type of question and answer or trivia. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about uh, a specific animal in, in South Africa. And the reason that we chose the Eland is our guests today are actually the owner and the outfitters of Eland Safari. So I'm not sure if you knew that the Eland is actually the world's largest yet slowest antelope. Did you guys know that? We know it's I'm the sure biggest. you guys knew yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but what's amazing about the Eland is they can actually jump eight feet from standing still, which is incredible that an animal that weighs, you know, 12 to 1,500 pounds can jump eight feet in the air uh, on one jump. So that's and that pretty is incredible. The truth. That's incredible. Um, they are native uh, to 15 African countries. So, um, you know, if, if you go to South Africa or if you go to different parts of Africa, you'll probably see Elands if you go on some type of safari. Um, they can actually live up to 25 years in captivity, which probably most elands in Africa are probably not kept captive. But interesting enough, um, they could live a pretty good life uh, if they were kept captive yep. for, for 25 years. Um, 50% of them do live on protected land. So our guests today, we're going to talk about um, some of the animals that they provide and, and kind of how that process works. And uh, males' thick growth of hair on their forehead distinguishes them from females. So 
interesting enough, you know, when you're trying to understand, is it a male or a female? Clearly, like a lion, I think most of us understand, you know, the difference in a male and a female. But with some animals in Africa, it's, it's probably difficult unless you have someone there to help you understand what the difference of a male or a female is. So those are just a couple things we're going to talk about today with our guests. So without any further ado, um, we're going to sit down uh, with two brothers who are owner and operator of a professional hunting service in South Africa. Um, Alex and Johnny Thompson uh, both work and, again, own and operate Eland Safaris, which is located in South Africa. Um, I met them roughly probably four or five years ago, um, which are uh, friends with a, with a friend of mine, Jason, which is my neighbor, which who's been on the podcast prior. And I've just grown to build a relationship with both Alex and Johnny and, and really enjoyed uh, their annual trip to the States as they get to come here and, and uh, you know, see us, see Jason and see some of their clients uh, for the future year. So they offer uh, world-class accommodations uh, for those looking to book an African safari of a lifetime. And if you're looking for that, I would, I would definitely argue that this is the place that you'll want to go or at least consider booking your African safari. So with that... Um, Today, I'm co-hosted by uh, my neighbor, uh, Jason Quick, who, again, like I said, has been on the podcast. And I also want to welcome uh, both Alex and Johnny Thompson to the podcast today. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thank you for hosting us. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> so how was dinner? Did you guys enjoy uh, some, of the, uh, some of the U.S. elk meat? Very good. I'm yeah, impressed. No, it was very good. You're Especially good. the elk. So what would you like better? So the elk or the white-tailed deer? Elk. Yeah, the elk. The elk <laughs> it was better. Yeah. I bet I know why the elk was better. Oh, nothing like having a little bacon wrapped around it, man. <laughs> exactly. Come on. Anytime you wrap bacon around anything, oh, yeah. bacon always makes it taste better. Yep. So speaking of bacon, um, we're going to kind of deviate a little bit. I heard somebody maybe put down a little bacon this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Johnny, no, I, you connected on a, on a pig this morning? Yeah, I was lucky enough. One of our friends, were, he took me out this morning, and it happened quickly. Usually Went out does. about 10 minutes and saw the pig and took us another half an hour and got one down. So first, uh, first pig in the state, so that's very cool. happy. So was it, a, was it a boar or was it a sow? Yeah, big boar, just under 200 pounds. Sadly, just one tusk. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Perfect eating. I think the 200-pound pig, I mean, Jason, Absolutely you're a local. perfect. <laughs> Is there a better size pig? In no. terms of eating, no, around two hundred pounds. That's that's what you shoot for. That one eighty to two hundred, boy, good amount of meat, tasty vittles. We're going to try some of that later on, aren't we, Lucas? Absolutely, we will. So um, maybe just talk a little about. So you guys travel all the way over here from South Africa. I mean, that's quite an adventure to get over here, right? I mean, how long does it take you guys to kind of get acclimated to to being over here in the states? Well, like the, the flight from South Africa to well, we. Yeah, our end destination is run about 25 hours on a plane, but it's worth it. The trip is long, but got to do it. This is my 11th trip over here, and the trip makes it worth the while, you know? Yeah, and you guys typically come here once a year, or? Yes, once a year, middle January to middle February. Okay. In your winter time, our okay. summertime. Yeah, so opposite seasons, and right, that's the southern hemisphere, so your guys are going into summer. We just got rid of our hot summer, and we're in our rainy, what you call winter right now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. they were actually mentioning earlier how, how amazing. It's like there's actually water in California. What a novel concept, right? Yeah. I think every dry creek bed has water in it, at least from what I've seen, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. That's incredible. That's it's, beautiful. it's much needed for us. 
So today uh, we've got a pretty full agenda. Uh, we've got a lot of topics we're going to cover, uh, but specifically, what our really our, our our mission is today is to really understand, you know, uh, Johnny and Alex both with Elon Safaris understand, you know, how their outfit works. If you were to book a hunt with them today, um, they're going to help us walk through the process of, you know, how it works when you book a hunt. What's the time and preparation required? Um, we're going to talk about some of the species that they offer, uh, which is a portfolio of many animals uh, on their portfolio, uh, and then talk a little bit about some of the area and where they're at, and then uh, we'll kind of close it out. So with that, um, I just kind of want to open it up for you guys to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how did you get your start or your passion in the outdoors? Kind of where did that come from? Well, I think for me, it's, you know, my mom was born and raised on our property, you know, so since we were little, since I can remember... We were going to the farm, so school holidays, weekends, we were on the farm. So hunting was, I wouldn't say it was big in us. We, you know, in those days, my grandfather was, we must only be a certain age before we can hunt. But, you know, spending time on the farm was, was our passion. And it just grew, you know, since then my dad took over the property and one thing led to another. We started hunting and we got an opportunity in 2006 to take it further and met up with Jason over here. And yeah, here we are 11 years later and still going strong. In terms of guiding, I guess, what takes you from a level of being a hunter to a guider? Like, what what made you guys make that decision to go from, you know, being hunters versus being, you know, guiding folks to take them out to hunt? Well, in the beginning, I will say it was it was a little bit different. You know, you used to do the hunting yourself, and then you started just doing guiding, you know, just telling the person to do the shot, you know, make the shot. So, I don't know, you just... It's something that comes with the territory, basically. I will say, you know, you enjoy it just as much as the guy pulling the trigger, you know. Mm-hmm. If you could pick, would you, if you could pick between being a hunter or a guy, and I'm going to ask both of you guys this question, <laughs> right? What Are you more of a killer or are you more of someone to take someone to kill something? Well, I'm going to speak for me and for my brother. I think I'm the guide and he's the hunter. Yeah. <laughs> he's the killer. Johnny? Especially when it comes to pigs. Yeah. Yeah. I love shooting pigs, so... It comes to pigs, I'm the killer. So warthogs, uh, I take <laughs> yep. it warthogs. Warthogs, are, yes. Look at that yeah. smile. I mean, it actually turned all of our, our, our faces into grins. You We're know? all smiling right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, and you guys could answer this too, but I think in order to be a proficient guide, you have to be a good hunter. You have to understand, you know, animal behaviors. The only way you know that is, is I think, being a hunter. Would you guys agree? I agree with yeah. you on that, you know. I, I just don't think it's just waking up and one day you want to be a hunter. It's got to be in your blood. It's got to be your passion, you know, something you, you love, yeah. for sure. Yep. It's a long learning process, you know. I mean, you start out, and, and it's funny, I, I, I always see people in different stages of life. I remember when I was a kid, and you get two boxes of shotgun shells, and my whole goal was to shoot every shotgun <laughs> shell I had and try to sh- kill as many ducks as I could get. And then all of a sudden you get to an older age in life and you're like, okay, well, I only want to shoot a green head. No different than now, you know, 20 years ago when I first decided I'm going to go to Africa. You know, when you go for the first time and you have that experience, you think, oh, my gosh, I could do this time and time again. And then the next thing you know, it's 20 years and it's different. I now really enjoy taking somebody like my kids or somebody that's never been to Africa over to have their first experience. And you are. When you're with Johnny and Alex, you know, and, and you're hunting with somebody that's never been there, and all of a sudden they come around a corner and there's like a, a zebra or a 
red heart of beast or something maybe that you've already shot and all of a sudden they see it and they get the opportunity to take one and you look at them you relive your personal experience through them and these guys you know they've guided hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to that same experience time and time again so it's it's really really living the dream over and over again it's got to be fulfilling to be able to take somebody out who has that dream right and there's probably some people that physically can't do hunts like a lot of us could do right and and could you maybe elaborate a little bit on folks that come out and say you know hey i've really never hunted before or or i want to have this type of experience how do you guys work with people because obviously everybody's different in what their expectations are yeah well uh, first of all i think you know we we work around a client you know we want to make it as much comfortable and possible for them you know so you work around them you work with them you know and then take it from there and I don't know. You, you know, the, the only thing I can say is work with the client, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, everyone's probably got different expectations, yeah. right? Johnny, in, in terms of, of folks that you've guided, have you noticed that you have to maybe change your style of guiding versus one client versus another? Yeah, definitely. Every client's different. So some of them can walk a long way. Some of them can't. We had people in wheelchairs before. We had to accommodate to that. So mm-hmm. every hunt's different, so... You yeah. gotta accommodate to the client. That sure. makes it exciting. Mm. You're yeah. gonna, you may shoot the same animal, but every hunt is different. Sure, and that I think that's what ultimately makes the experience worthwhile. Because every time I'm sure you guys book somebody, you've got somebody who wants to do this versus somebody that wants to do this, and that, that's probably what what keeps it, you know, interesting for you guys. So definitely. So talk a little about Elon Safaris. I guess where are you guys located in proximity to Africa? So if someone was to go on, you know, uh, online and look and, and try to understand Africa, where in proximity is Elon Safaris? Well, we located in the Limpopo province, you know, that's the biggest province in South Africa and the most hunted province in South Africa. We're the north, well, most northwestern part of South Africa, close to the Botswana border. That's where we are. Okay. We've got 6,000 acres there. You know, like we, my brother mentioned, you know, my mom was born and raised on the property. And then we've got like 45 different properties, concessions we can hunt on there. And with that, we can do down south as well for other animals in South Africa. And we also can go up to Zimbabwe and do some hunts there. And closer to Kruger, where we do some of our buffalo and bigger, big five hunts. Okay. So if someone had their eyes set on, you know, multiple species and they may not be on your actual 6,000 acres, you guys have the ability to find some of those animals because you've got other arrangements with with other outfitters or other other uh, pieces of property. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so based on you know your proximity, I guess let's talk about you know the process of booking a hunt. And so let's say I'm brand new to this and I want to go to Africa, right? And let's say tonight you know you're going to book me on a hunt. Um, just kind of give us a general walkthrough and, and, and kind of, you know, for our listeners, help them understand you got someone brand new and they want to book a hunt. How does that process work? And we can kind of start from the booking process, you know, how much lead time that it might take for, for someone to come out and some of the preparation involved. Well, I think booking the hunt is actually easy. You just got to decide if you want to go, not, you know, trust the guy and go with it. But... Every hunt is tailor-made, so we work around the client, like I said, anything from 5 to 14 days of hunt, you know, as long as the client can go up and certain animals take more time. But I will say the average hunt is around about 7 days, and I think if you book right about 6 months in advance, you've got enough time to buy a plane ticket, you know. It gives you time to look for a good price for on that. 
And then, like I said, we make the hunt, you pay a deposit, and then we start everything from there, you know. Like I said, your plane ticket, and then start with the permits for the rifles, getting it in, and yeah. What time of year typically are you guys facilitating your hunts? Well, we hunt from anything from end of March, beginning April, okay. and we can go up to straight end of October, beginning November. We'll, the best time is basically, I think, your summertime, you know, middle May till middle August. I think that's the best time for hunting. But, you know, you've you, you got to accommodate all the clients, you know, so that's why we've got a pretty long season and we're fortunate with, with, with that. Yeah. We try not to hunt when it's too hot, you know, preserve the skins, preserve the meat. It's what's what it's all going about, mm-hmm. you know. It's not just about shooting the animal, getting on the ground. It's the whole experience that counts. Yeah, so if I was to want to book a hunt today... Would I be able to hunt in 2017, or is it more of a probably a futuristic 2018 likelihood? Well, in, in our experience, I think most of the clients, it's, it's hard to book a hunt now, this year, like now, and come in six or seven months. So I think probably will be the best, you know, to have a year and year, year in advance time, you know, to get everything ready, prepare for it, mm-hmm. where you're going, get your passport, all those kind of things ready. So Okay. So typically, you probably want to think about, if I'm going to book my hunt today... I want to probably at least consider myself a year out in terms of lead time planning, making sure that, um, you know, you guys have availability in some of the better times, you know, travel arrangements, I think are a big thing because in a short term, you know, a flight, a flight ticket to South Africa could be expensive. So if you plan it out six to eight months in advance is, is probably the best way to go about doing it. Yep. That's what I will say. Yeah. Okay. And it, and it helps you as a, you as a client as well. You know, there's not one big sum of money you have to put right down now. Yeah. So you can spread it out a little bit and it helps you pay little by little getting it out there. And I would agree with that. A lot of times, in in my opinion, people purchase a hunt and then really they're not thinking about doing that experience for another probably at least a year. And sometimes it's a little longer than that because, say, for instance, you bought it today, you know, in January and you're thinking, well, I want to go in June, but you're probably not going in this June because that's only, you know, five months away. You're probably going the following June, but that gives you time to usually pay for the hunt and then, you know, six months before your trip. So basically a year from now, then you basically buy buy your airplane ticket. And then when you get to the ranch, then basically you have extra money to pay for whatever animals you take. And then six months after that, you know, the taxidermy side of things comes around as well as the shipping of the uh, heads and horns back. So it's really, it's not like you have to come up with $10,000 today to make everything happen. It's like that's spread out a lot of times over a two, two and a half year period of time is what I see average for people to go. So, you know, we actually, we've, we've got a, a, a hunt on the books with you guys, and I'm really trying to plan to do this in the next year or so. But, um, you know, the Friends of NRA, which I've had Jason on, and we've talked about the foundation and how the Friends of NRA events work. But, you know, you guys are really one of the title sponsor, and, and fairly from an Africa hunt standpoint in the Central California, you know, your guys' hunt is the one that uh, is marketed, you know, across um, you know, most of the, the Central California um, NRA events. So talk a little bit about some maybe your guys' um, you know, commitment to the NRA and how that, that, uh, those events work uh, with, in conjunction with the NRA. Well, I, I think, you know, we can start 11 years ago. You know, that's why I say I came over here and met with Jason. We put something together and to see if it's going to work. And like I said, 11 years later, it's still working. Something I want to mention, in, 
well, in this 11 years, we all became NRA Life members. So I think it's something to mention, and we, we support you guys because, well, you support us, you know. That's and, pretty and, – and I think for, for a non-American, I mean, the National <laughs> Rifle Association of America, and here we've got people from another country that believe in our constitutional rights mm-hmm. enough to actually step up and buy life memberships in the NRA. I mean, it's, it's – that's pretty strong in my yeah. in my opinion. I think that's a mutual commitment from both sides. I mean, I I'm a life member, you know, thanks to Jason too and you know, I think about, you know, the the constitutional rights that we have. I mean, number 2, you know, behind number 1, which number 1's important, but yeah. number 2 is the next most important one is our right to bear arms and that's why we fight for that and we fight for that every day, right? Yeah. Because they want to continually take that from us. So, I think I think it's important that you know, you guys, you know, do have a good presence uh, with these dinners because, you know, there's four to 500 people that go to these dinners and word of mouth can be some of the best thing. And you got folks that have been to your outfit that talk about the experience. That's probably one of the best marketing tools that you guys can have is, is having those hunts at those events. Yeah, well, that's how we've been doing it. Word of mouth, nothing else. Yeah. It's, it is. I, and I mean, I'll, I'll speak to their dedication to the National Rifle Association. I mean, they've pretty much donated to any event that we've asked them to. And, you know, I mean, it's basically the money that they've raised to help protect the Second Amendment through these hunts is is astronomical. So I'm really pleased that, you know, we have dedicated people that are outside of the United States that are just as passionate about our cause as as these two guys are so i really thank you guys for you know supporting nra and and helping us raise money to protect our rights to keep our firearms it's a pleasure pleasure the key to what jason just said is donate right you guys donate these hunts to the friends of nra again to help uh you know that cause and I, i think that's just a noble thing that you guys do i mean you'll donate you know a hunt for two to three hunters with you know three to four animals um, you know, just because you guys have that commitment with the NRA. So I just think that that's just really neat that, you know, this isn't something where you guys are billing the NRA. I mean, you guys are donating a hunt to get people to come out and have that African experience, which I, I think is is just really neat. So, okay. Um, kind of segueing into, so we've talked about how to book the hunt. So, you know, you could go online, you could book it. Um, we'll have Alex and, and Johnny's information in the show notes. You could attend a Friends of NRA event, and you could book a hunt there for really pennies on the dollar when you think about it, when you when you go to some of the other trade show events for, for what African safaris go for. But um, talking about traveling, so, um, and Jason can probably speak to this, but, you know, traveling with firearms, traveling with items that are, you know, of high quality, um, you know, obviously things like cameras and binoculars that are very expensive, Um Maybe, um, Jason, you can talk to this, kind of walk through the process around, you know, ensuring that you've got your customs paperwork, the 4457 forms, you know, do you pack your binoculars in your luggage or do you keep your (laughs) binoculars with you, right? I mean, talk through that experience when you're traveling overseas with with those types of things. You know, traveling is, has become a a really, a big struggle throughout the United States since 9-11. But one of the primary forms that have lasted throughout this is called a U.S. Customs 
border form. It's called a 4457. And this form isn't just for firearms, but a lot of hunters use it for firearms just to document the firearm that you have. You have to have a 4457 form, which is you receive from the customs department in order to take your gun into South Africa, as well as when you return, you have to have that same form to show the customs agent when you come back into the United States so that they know the firearm was yours. What's really neat about the 4457 is it's not just specific to a firearm. You could put anything on there. You could put your binoculars on there. You could put your cameras on there. And basically what it is is it's a document that when you come back into the United States, you know, we have tariffs and stuff like that. So if you, if somebody were to buy a camera in Japan and bring it back, they have to pay taxes on that when they bring it in. In this case, if you have the camera, you take it with you, you already paid for it, you have that form, it basically exempts you from that. So we use these forms pr- primarily for rifles. Um, a lot of times it's going to have the make, the model, the caliber, and then usually it's going to have um, your serial, serial number. number on it. And it's going to be official form that they're going to actually put a stamp on so that they know that this item was taken from the United States to another country to hunt with and then is being returned. So- and it's really an important document to have. So basically anything, in my opinion, that would have value that has a serial number, you probably want to put on the, yes. the 4457 form. So binoculars, clearly, you know, the binoculars that we use are, are something that you don't want to lose or you don't want to have an issue with customs Some of with. them are more expensive than the guns, aren't yeah, they? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, cameras and other things that um, have serial numbers, you want to make sure that those get on that, that form. So I think that's just a, that's just a good practice and, uh, you know, something that uh, if you do decide to, to go overseas and, and travel internationally, um, would be a good thing to, to do. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier, you know, traveling. A lot of people don't realize, um, you know, you, you can't take a firearm in your checked luggage. So that, of course, has to go. When you get to the airport, you have to declare that you have a firearm. They have you fill out a form saying the gun is unloaded. Ammunition has to be in a locked box, no more at this present time than 11 pounds. And it has to be in a separate checked piece of luggage. It can't be in with the actual firearm. So, you know, those two things have to be separated. But what I tell everybody is when it comes to your cameras and your binoculars and all that stuff, I mean, the new TSA locks that you have on your actual luggage really doesn't stop anybody from stealing anything. So all your good, important stuff, your it goes right into your checked bag and you take that on as you're carried on luggage. Mm-hmm. So don't be, don't be afraid to pack that. Usually when they run it through the x-ray, sometimes they got to take it out and look at it. But 90% of the times, you know, they could see, oh, it's a camera. It's a pair of binoculars. You know, they go up, you know, typical stuff that they see all the time, where if you put it in your check luggage and then you travel halfway across the world and you get your bag and surprise, surprise, in one of those many stops, you know, somebody rifled through your stuff that doesn't fly too good. I will say that I've never actually had anybody lose a firearm because I think they track those so much more now than they used to that, you know, a lot of people in the baggage claim area are afraid to actually, you know, mm-hmm. mess try with to, it try to yeah. mess with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, 
So, Alex or Johnny, I, I guess as we continue this traveling process, so once you know your client lands, and I'm, I'm guessing Johannesburg is probably a, a, a standard place that you pick folks up uh, at. I guess what happens next? So someone lands there, and, and what do you guys do uh, at that time? Yeah, we'll be waiting for you outside the gate. So as soon as you meet us, we'll go to customs. We'll get your rifle. And then usually the flights come in at about half past five, six o'clock in the evening. So you either sleep over in Johannesburg. Otherwise, it's a five-hour drive down to the farm where everything starts. Okay. So, and, and that's typically a process because I've, I've flown, I mean, I've flown to Argentina and I've flown to, to New Zealand and Australia as well. So, you know, typically when your client lands, you know, there's a one to two hour process of getting your luggage, you know, getting through customs. Um, when I flew into New Zealand, I had a bow. I didn't even have a rifle. And they literally took everything out of my case and they vacuumed out my bow case because I had like alfalfa sprouts and stuff in there. And they didn't want you to bring anything into their country from the U.S. So, If you'd have known they were going to clean your stuff for you, you would have left it dirty before I, you left. Exactly, huh? exactly. Um, but have you guys ever run into issues where, you know, clients land and you go to pick them up and you guys just run into issues from time to time. Is there anything that folks could learn from some of those, those experiences? Well, yes, problems do occur. But I think if your, your paperwork is done beforehand, like Jason mentioned, you know, with that 4457 and from South African side, we've got a company we work with called Hunters Permits Africa. You send you in your paperwork beforehand, you know, they pre get a pre-issued permit for you. And when you land in Johannesburg, like my brother said, we, you know, we wait for you at the gate, we go to customs. And then the police just check the rifles here and number. We sign and we're out of there. If you got that ready before the time, there's really no problems. Yeah, and that's really what yeah. you want is a seamless process. I mean, you don't want folks to land and, and there be issues. I mean, especially in foreign countries. I know when we flew into Argentina, we had some issues with the serial number on one of the rifles. And it actually, the the form and the serial number were, were actually consistent. There was an issue, I think, with, with uh, one of the what we would consider the TSA agent in Argentina, which are military police that have fully automatic weapons. So <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit different experience for, for my compadre I was traveling with. Yeah. But you really want to minimize any friction, oh, yes. you know, when you're traveling abroad or, or internationally, right? I mean, that, that's the last it, thing you want to That's have. the absolute last thing you want is to have any problems with firearms. But it's really, really pretty seamless. I mean, a lot of people go through johannesburg and do this exact same thing every day in fact a lot of times when you look around on the plane as you're flying over you go uh that guy's got a real tree hat on and that guy's got sitka jacket on and that guy's got a coup before you know it you're like half the people on this dead gum plane are actually going to go hunting and so when you get there um you know, it's it's kind of crazy. There could be 5, 10, 20 guys literally lined up getting their gun permits. But the most important thing is what Alex said earlier. Pay the $150, send all your paperwork ahead of time, have their agent submit all your paperwork early. And that way when you show up, all you do is walk in, they look at the form, they can they look at the serial number, they look at the serial number on the paperwork, and they say, sign here. And when you sign there and they hand you your piece of paper, you're done. Yep. You're out of there. You're out of there. Yeah, and I, th I think 
at the end of the day, the you know, like I said, the last thing you want is is any troubles with with the you know the the border patrol, the the custom agents. So I think there's some valuable lessons here that we can take away. You know, when you're traveling, and really a lot of it, I think, is around preparation. Which tells me, I mean, you almost need to be, you know, six to eight months to a year out to make sure that you've got all this stuff in place that, you know, we work with with the with the outfitter and making sure that all those forms are in place. And uh, I think that makes the experience much better, too. So, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think it gives you a little bit more satisfaction as, as well as, as a client coming over that all your, your ducks is in a row and it's going to be, you know, so much more easier landing, get your stuff and you're out of there. And that's the one thing that I would mention for people going to Johannesburg. When you actually land, you get off the plane, you collect your luggage. Well, the only thing that won't be there is your firearm, okay, because that automatically gets taken to the police station. So you just collect all the rest of your luggage, and at that stage, you basically go through what they consider their their customs check. Literally, they run your stuff usually through an x-ray machine. Then you walk out through these two big sliding doors and a lot of times Alex or Johnny or one of their uh, main guys along with usually the firearms lady Adele is actually standing out there waiting for you and as soon as you find them you connect with them then they go straight from there over to the police station which is right there in the airport and it's it, it happens really pretty fast yeah yeah Jason I just want to mention you know with all this talking it sounds like it's very difficult but it actually is not difficult no it's really you not know, like yeah. you said if you got a year in advance and everything just follows little by little you know it's 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 really easy it's yeah. not difficult I mean it's it's no different than going through any customs line usually even without a firearm mm-hmm. in any other foreign country or sometimes coming back into our country it's it's really the same exact process for yeah. anybody that's had that experience so so we've landed in Johannesburg, so I'm going to kind of walk us through the experience. So we, we've talked about, you know, so we're cleared, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving the airport and we're, we're heading five hours, as you know, to, to what Johnny said. So as being someone new to do an African safari, I guess, what can, what can someone expect based on, um, you know, we'll start with what's the topography like where, where your hunters will be? You know, the elevation, you know, what's, what's it like? Well, we're not very high. You know, we just run about 2,000 feet above sea level. Our area more or less is flat, thick, brushy. You know, distance of shooting is not very far, anything from 75 to 175 yards, you know. So it's, it's I won't say it's not a difficult hunt. You still got to work hard for your, an- your mm-hmm. animals, you know, but it's not a straight up and down. You're not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro no. or anything to, to go take an animal. So. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we work with the clients, you know, like my brother earlier mentioned, you know, some clients can walk for, some clients can't work for, walk for. So we mix it up a little bit to keep the client interesting as well. You know, he doesn't seem the same thing every day or do the same thing every day. So when your clients show up, um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the accommodations that you guys offer. So you guys pull up the Elan Safaris. I mean, what do your clients see in terms of, you know, the, the outfitting service what can they expect on their experience for accommodations? Well, we've got, well, we call it chalets in South Africa, you know, grass roof huts to basically put it that way. But all of the rooms are luxury, you know, I've got single beds, double beds, air conditioning rooms, got his own, you know, shower, bathroom, basically putting in it, a little, little bit of a living room. So it's your home far away from home, to put it that way, make you relaxed, feel comfortable, you know, to put it that way. Another thing, you know, we always mention the clients, it's not necessary to pack a, you know, clothing for every day. We do washing every day. So that helps with traveling light. You travel light. 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about oversized baggage and, and, and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, we try to make you much you know, comfortable as possible. You know, the lodge, the food, you know, you must make yourself at home. The quicker you help yourself to put it that way, the quicker you feel at home to put a it better experience jason can you talk about the food i know every oh. time you seem to come back from africa <laughs> you're like hey we need to go for a walk because yeah. i think i gained five pounds yeah i tell everybody you know you're probably not gonna lose weight on an african safari uh, you know they have all the amenities they have a full stocked um refrigerator with all different types of drink you know they have a bar if you like to have a cocktail at night um, you know, they basically have everything underneath the moon. You get three square meals. A lot of times breakfast, we do kind of like a continental breakfast because a lot of times you just want to eat something real fast and then basically get out in the field. But then a lot of times you come back um, around 11 o'clock for a brunch and a little bit of a, a rest period before you do an evening hunt. Um, and my experience is, I, as I told everybody, I usually try to convince somebody in my group that's going on the hunt to shoot an eland. And the reason I want them to shoot an eland is because, in my opinion, it's the best table fare around. Not to say that I don't love Impala and Niala and Kudu and all the other things, but, boy, there is nothing like an eland steak on the barbecue. So these guys do a fantastic, or actually... You call it a braai, right? Not a barbecue. Yep. And they will literally cook it for you, you know, over open coals. And, boy, there's nothing like red meat over open coals. Do you guys have a chef then that you guys have full-time that that does a lot of the cooking? Yes, we do have a chef. You know, he works out with, with my brother's wife in conjunction, you know. Through that, over the last couple of years, we've put up a very good menu. So you you'll eat enough. You'll eat good. So good. So so you could expect for for clients that show up that a lot of the animals that they harvest, a lot of that is really from kind of from you know from the ground to the table to I mean that's what a lot of you guys do is is provide a lot of those animals and you guys will cook a lot of the meat that the actual hunters will will harvest. Yes. Yeah. We we, we try to cook well, prepare everything they most of all they shot. You know, so they can say that if they've eaten what they've shot. Mm-hmm. You know. And, Stuff that stay over, you know, the meat, nothing goes to waste over there. You know, we, in South Africa, we are allowed to, you know, to, to sell it to, you know, private guys. And they, they're allowed to process it and sell it to the public. So that's neat. I think the, the cool thing about what, you know, I think a lot of the outfits do is, you know, we as, as American hunters can't take the meat back to the United States with us, right? And I think that's, that's the hardest part is a lot of us, you know, are, are really not trophy hunters. We're there to to actually get the meat and take I, the meat. I think so. that's the only downfall of this whole, whole trip coming to South, South Africa or Africa is that you can't bring any meat back. Yeah. Yeah. But and you can enjoy a lot of it while yep, you're there. That's, so. that's why we try to prepare as most as possible for you. That's good. I've tried to eat a whole eland, boy. Let me tell you, that's one <laughs> tough accomplishment there. Well, as we said earlier, <laughs> 1,200 to 1,500 pounds. Oh, man, when they take when they take out a tenderloin that that's – out of an animal that big, oh, 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 and we just ate really great tonight, so I don't want to downplay an elk because I love elk meat, but really the eland, in my opinion, is just like eating filet mignon, so that's yeah. one of my faves. So um, if someone was to you know book a hunt with you guys, what type of species of animal could they expect? Um, you know, basically not only maybe on your ranch, but if someone was interested in shooting a lion or some of these more exotic animals, is that is that something that you guys can provide? Yeah, we can basically provide anything that the client wants. 
as long as we can import it to the states basically mm -hmm. so at the moment the cats are a bit difficult and stuff but yeah otherwise all the animals what the client want we can we yeah. can provide for them there's 53 different species in south africa alone you know and just on our property alone we've got 18 there so but whatever the, cl the clients want we can tailor made it and get it for them you know yeah still so it's, I mean, it's not just it's it's a, it's a certainty he's going to get it but i mean we can go to the concessions and work hard to get him that trophy but you know the, the typical like the kudu and the inyala and the blesbuck and the wildebeest those are those are no problem in in terms of what you guys can offer no problem at all the 18 species that they have is is pretty impressive i remember my first trip to africa and it's just like every time you're driving down a new road and you come around a corner and here's something new that maybe you don't even know what the name of it is, it, it, is a, it is a wild experience. And, you know, 18 different species. It's not like here in California where what? Let's see, we got a pig, we got a deer, we got an elk, mm -hmm. antelope. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. A couple Co different species of deer. Yeah. A few predators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have, I don't think, 18 huntable species. A lot of squirrels, but those after a while, fortunate. Those, get, <laughs> those get a little boring after a while. So, Okay. Um, I'm going to ask both Alex and Johnny this question, but in your opinion, you know, you guys are born and raised in, in Africa and, and have lived there your whole life. I mean, what do you consider is one of the most coveted species of animal to hunt in Africa? Well, I'll go first. I will say definitely the kudu. I think everybody wants the big kudu, the spiral horn, you know. And then the second two, I will definitely go for impala and wartok. I think that's the, two, well, the three top trophies everybody wants, definitely. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And you can throw in gemsbuck. Oh, yeah. And sable is also one of the more exotic ones that a lot of people want. Mm -hmm. I think if I, I, if I can go on a big five... I definitely think the buffalo is on top of everybody's list. Yeah, and I, th I think what I see majority is folks shoot a lot of Cape buffaloes versus, you know, a lot of black rhinos or hippos yeah. or, you know, some of the other elephant exotic. I, it seems to be that the buffalo is more of an exotic versus the other, you know, the other four, I guess, in yep. the big five. No, definitely, and I think it's a, the, the more affordable one as well. You know, and like my brother mentioned earlier, cats is getting a problem, you know, mm -hmm. to put it that way. And rhino, we all know, you know, it's a little bit on the endangered list of all the poaching that's going on. Yeah. But definitely the buffalo is the most sought one of the big five, I will say. So speaking of poaching, um, you know, and you know, you guys are located kind of in that northern part of South Africa, Botswana area mm -hmm. in the Lumpumpa area. Is poaching an issue where you guys are located? Unfortunately, yes. Our, our area, not as much, but yes. Lampopo, especially Kruger Park, where there's a lot of rhino, elephant, you know, it's part of it. Every day you hear of, you know, rhino being poached or elephant being poisoned. And the new thing now is lions as well. They're poisoning them as well. And those are probably the three most targeted. You yeah. said the elephant, the yeah. rhino, and, and the, and you the said lion. the lion. Yes. Yeah. And well, I guess, what is it that makes them, you know, the species of choice to poach versus... I'm going to shoot an eland because it tastes great, or I'm going to shoot a kudu because it's got, you know, the spiral horn. I mean, what, what sets those species well, apart? I think on a, the rhino and elephant is definitely the ivory. And on the, the lion these days, oh, they go for the bones, they say. They can export the bones. Oh, okay. There's something in the bones. I don't know what, but they go for that. That's interesting. I mean, I, you know, obviously, 
there's a lot of sensitivity around poaching and lions yeah. as, of what's happened in the last few years. But, um, you know, do you guys offer lion hunts or do you have to go out and outsource for lion hunts or is that something that you guys do or is it kind of something that's not we, so we, much marketed? we do offer lion hunts but like i said it's 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 a touchy subject these days so at this stage you know you, you can't import it to the state so i don't think we're gonna sell any lion hunts to put it that way same with with uh, with uh leopard you know lampoba province didn't get any permits this year for the third time in a row so no no cat hunting as well the whole of south africa yeah didn't get permits and that's crazy that's considering that you were talking about all the photographs and everything of leopard in the last year that have been all over the properties. You know, leopards are just like any other animal. We've we've got plenty of them, but for some strange reason, you know, the fishing game won't allow us to import them. And so what happens? They they put no value on them in South Africa, and if a leopard starts eaten everybody's property be it their wild game animals that they have or their livestock or kids surprise surprise they have no value then yep. people are going to just shoot them yep you the know get rid of, poison the moment, them the moment there's value when there's no value there's they're there's gone, gone which know? i think about you know the the struggles we deal with in the states around predation of wolves um you know grizzly bears you know which are two species that are on the endangered species list in, you know, the United States. The problem is once they go on the list, they typically never come off the list. Yep. And, you know, and that's 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 a true statement in the United States. Now they're trying to delist, you know, the grizzly bears because there is a significant issue in the in the Pacific Northwest area with grizzly bears. But history tells us that when they get on the list, they don't come off the list. And, and that's an issue because, you know, when they become, um, you know, not only a predator of animals, but you literally see elk herd devastation based on, you know, the wolf population. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, miraculous, the, the impact that those animals make. And I, I can imagine at some point, you know, leopards and other predators, you know, or lions, if they're not allowed to be hunted, but yet they continue to procreate, they be, could become an issue. Yep, but definitely, you know, and I think the big problem we can see in that way is the elephants. Everybody think elephants are extinct, but they are not extinct. You know, they, they do a lot of damage. And one place you can go look at it is Kruger National Park, how devastating they can be, you know. And what is it, I mean, what is it they do? Are they are they just so large that they just yeah, mow well, stuff over? Or? Yeah, well, they push a tree over, you know. It takes a couple, a couple of, well, 100 years to maybe get a big, big tree out of it and if they push it over it's dead you know they destroy the vegetation and then they destroy it for all the others how big is an elephant i mean what from a from a mass size i mean how much do they weigh because oh boy <laughs> a couple of hundred thousand pounds <laughs> <laughs> wow well, no no not a hundred thousand pounds but they're big you know i'm not 100 percent sure how big they are but you don't actually realize how big they are till you till you stand next to one sure mm. and and just what he's what alex mentioned i went to kruger the I think two times before when I was there and it was amazing to me. I mean, I love watching the wildlife. I love seeing elephants. Totally awesome. But I literally watched about 12 elephants walk down this path and they were feeding and literally they'd come to a tree that was twice as big as them and they'd try to reach up and grab a nice green branch from the very top and they couldn't and they'd just sit there and they'd basically push on the tree you know, who knows? Tree's probably 50, 80 years old, and next thing you know, poof, there goes the Over tree. Goes. Yep. You know, 
50, 80 year old tree, you know, that's not going to just grow back tomorrow. So they are an amazing creature at the same time. I think I remember reading some stat that said, you know, Kruger National Park can handle 40,000 elephants. I think about 9,000. Nine and yeah. at the moment, there's over 20,000 elephants. Yeah. Wow. So they're double past ca- capacity in that geographical area. I mean, yeah. I mean, come they, on, people. I yeah. mean, that's a reality of yep. life. They're devastating. Very. Yeah, and at some point, they start to, I mean, and I think about some of the animals like in the United States, but they actually impede on, you know, human, you know, livelihood and other things that, you know, if they're not managed, and I think that's one of the issues in the United States is I think they they don't manage the animals very well. I think, you know, in the United States, we deal with tags and draws, you know, and allocations, but they want to manage that versus actually managing the animals, and they've got it backwards, right? California is a prime example of that. I think that's where we're lucky, you know, being on a ranch, you know, it's all privately owned. We can manage our own wildlife, and that makes a big difference. Which is big. different. Yeah, you know, here in the You're, in the states. In the states, that we don't have that luxury. That I think that they manage the human population, and then they, you know, the animals come secondary. Yeah, which really the intent should be is you want to manage the animals, right? Yeah. Versus the amount of tags or 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 you know, actual tags are allocated for those units. So, so in terms of you know. Elon Safari, so we've talked about the travel arrangements. We talked about what, you know, a guest could expect. So um, in terms of for both the hunter and a non-hunter, I guess, what services do you provide? And let's talk about first the hunter. So let's say a guy shows up and he wants to hunt with a muzzleloader and you got another guy in his group that wants to shoot his archery equipment and you got another guy that wants to shoot a rifle. I mean, is that something that you guys can accommodate too? Yes, we can. Um most of the hunts will do one-on-one, basically, or, or rifle hunter or muzzleloader hunter or, or archer hunter. But sometimes, you know, depending on the group, you can put two rifle hunters together with one professional hunter. But on archery, I will say one-on-one, not, not two-on-one. It makes it much more sufficient, sufficient, well, better, to put it that way, if they hunt one-on-one. Yeah, and how many guides do you guys currently have? Yeah, it's me and my brother. we got one guy permanently working for us, and then we got a dump. A bunch of uh, PHS depends on the size of the group that can come in. So anything from the three of us is permanently, but we can get up to 10, 10 PHS if we have to. Yeah, the, so. the, the I guess it just depends take, on the size of the group. Yeah, our, our camp can take up to 20 people, depending on the groups, you know, couple, single guys. Have you guys ever had a full camp or you've had a, that many folks? Yes, we did. That's got to be busy around the dinner table every <laughs> night. You, you run around. Yeah. <laughs> You but run around. I, one of the things I found in being in, in camps like that is the camaraderie. It's like you go there not knowing people and you leave being like eternal friends. I think that's the cool part about doing a lot of these camps, especially when you go with some of the guides and, you know, you're in the trenches with them and you walk away, you know, almost eternal friends well, when you were strangers when you show up. Well, that's our aim. You know, you, you always come there as a client and leave as a friend, you know, for sure. And I, and I would agree with that. You know, it's, it's such an awesome experience standing around the fire outside the dining room, looking at the stars, which are completely different than the stars that we look at here. And, you know, just thinking about your daily excursion and or listening to somebody else's story of what, what happened to them. It's, it's a pretty surreal 
experience, especially for the person that's only that's never been there. The first time they go and they start looking around, and they're like, "Man, these stars all look different." It's it's pretty awesome, you know. It's really incredible. Oh yeah, baseball is coming back at night, having a cocktail and sitting around the campfire. Yeah. So if someone was to bring, you know, their spouse or their significant other, I guess what services or accommodations do you provide for non-hunters? Well, uh, we, we it's not a problem bringing them. Definitely not. You know, sometimes they hunt, sometimes they don't hunt. So mm-hmm. they're more than welcome to go with the hunt, you know, or stay in camp. It's totally safe. We do offer, you know, like you said, we can do spa treatments. Um, you know, uh, we've got a, like an hour drive away. There's a place where they can go take pictures, lions, tigers, those kind of things. Just a little bit of break from the farm. You know, we are pretty much located in the middle of nowhere. But there is something we can offer them, you know, if you know we know well in advance they're coming with so to to, to give to give them something to do if, if someone was to want to do like photography would you guys be able to take them out and you know they're obviously they're not hunters but they want to go out and take photos of different animals or some of the habitat is that something that you guys typically do yeah that's not a problem we also have tours for them we take them to kruger national park they go there for a couple of days they very good for photography birds all the wildlife there so you go there for two or three days. You go with the rangers. So. How, how far are you guys located from Victoria Falls? Is that a is that a pretty long distance to get to? Or it's a flight. Oh, is it? okay. It's not a drive. Okay, it's not a drive. No, it's a flight. Okay. I was wondering how far that was. I know yeah. um, some friends of mine. They went to Africa. It's been a few years ago, and uh, they went and did the whole Victoria Falls yeah. thing. And I wasn't sure if it was a drive or a flight. No, it's it's a flight. It's it's something to go see definitely. So if it's if it's you can do it, you know. The two big tour attractions in South Africa is definitely Cape Town with the mountains. You know, you've got the ocean and definitely the wine, the good wine of South Africa. And then Kruger Park is the other tourist attraction. And like I said, if Trump prevails and you can do it, is to get on a flight and go see Victoria Falls. It's one of the seven wonders and it's something to see. Obviously, I've, I've looked at it online and it's it's yeah. beautiful. But Been there. It's yeah. a pretty incredible place. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about you know, what happens with the meat and, and it, it is prepared during the stay, but I, I want to understand a little bit more, you know, you guys talk about how nothing goes to waste in Africa. So give us a little bit of an idea or an example of, you know, a kudu has been taken. I mean, what do you mean by nothing goes to waste on that animal? Well, we use as much as we can for the camp, the trackers, the skinners, they take from the meat and what we don't use people buy from us they process it into sausage whatever they want to do with it and jerky and they can sell it to the public again so basically that whole animal has been used yeah and some of the mm. intestines as well you know our trackers take it and mm. basically what we can't use is being put on a gut pile for the jackal and stuff so so they so, get fed as well yeah so everyone's <laughs> has some getting some love from the and, animal and didn't i hear one time that there was a place that was taking the bones too and and using the bones for yeah well some of the places they use some of the bigger animals bones you know they can make carvings and stuff definitely you know animals we picked up or the horns that's not getting used you know we've got people that buys it from us again and they you know make curios out of it and we can use that money again to buy salt for the heights and so everything can get used yeah which i think you know from an international standpoint i you know, I think it's consistent across the board that, you know, meat gets donated because I'm sure when you guys get, you know, 
10 hunters in a, in a site. I mean, there's only so much meat that you guys have the capacity right. for. Yeah. So some of that gets donated locally or goes out to places yeah, well, that people we, use it. We do that as well. Every now and again, you know, we, the church, you know, we donate some meat some to the church and they spread it from there, you know. Some people that need food or, you know, communities and stuff like that. So we don't just sell everything mm-hmm. to think you people, you make money out of it. We do donate as well. Is there animals that you don't eat in Africa? Is there anything that's just like, ugh, you shot that, but we're not going to eat that? Or Basically anything that eat meat, we don't want to eat. <laughs> yeah. Baboons, monkeys. Jackal. Jackal stuff, like anything that eat meat. That's. But I must say we have tried lion, those kind of things, crocodile, mm-hmm. hippo. Crocodile hippo is eatable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cat, well, croc we, is we've, good. I mean, we, we've tried some line, but the other stuff, uh, no, it's going to be a little <laughs> difficult. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to eat a jackal either. It's like... That's like eating a coyote. Exactly. I mean, come on. It's a dog. It is a... Yeah. But I'll say crocodile... You know, I didn't realize um, that the meat comes out of the tail yeah. of yes. the animal. And crocodile yeah. is excellent. Well, alligator is what we have here, but crocodile is excellent too. Yep. Very good meat. Very good. We enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. The other white meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The other white meat is South Africa. So, um, so okay, so we've kind of walked through the process. So now we've got an animal down. Um, we've talked about, you know, where the, where the meat goes and, and how nothing goes to waste, which I think is, is really neat. And I think that's what sets, you know, a lot of the, the folks apart from different safaris is, is you guys put all that to use, which I think is, is really neat. So let's talk a little about taxidermy. Um, you know, so someone shoots a trophy animal, they shoot a trophy kudu, you know, um, do you guys typically, you know, clean the animal out and, and cut the skull cap and do all that yeah, and we, then send it to a taxidermist? We, we do all the, the field dressing, basically, you know, put it in the salt, you know, get it ready for the taxidermy. And then what we do, we offer extra, you know, we when we go take the clients back, we do take them to a taxidermy so they can see the South African work compared to the state's work. It's still up to the client what he wants to do, you know, get it mounted in South Africa or just dip and pack it to the States and he's got somebody here to, to do the mounting. Do you guys typically see that folks... Um, will keep the animals in South Africa and do the taxidermy, or a lot of folks end up shipping them back? I will say these days it's around about a 50-50. You know, it all depends on how, you know, the client wants it. Some want to pay it, ship it, and others got a friend this side or a taxidermy he's been using, you know, forever. So they'll ship it to, the, to his taxidermy and let them do the mounting. In terms of time frame, I, is there one that's quicker? I mean, what's a typical time frame? Okay, I went in, you know, May of 2017. When would I expect to see my animals typically? It usually takes about a year if you mount it in South Africa. I'll say dip and ship will take a bit longer because you're going to wait six to eight months to get your trophies to the States, and then it all depends on how long your taxidermy takes. So it can take another year as soon as it gets here. So sure. Quicker if you just mount it in South Africa and get it shipped and That's over done. and done. And that's, pr- that's pretty typical. My experience has been if you just do a dip and ship, it's it's six to eight months to just have your raw hide shipped over here. If you do the taxidermy there, normally it's right around the year mark, maybe a little bit longer than that. But just as Johnny said, you know, after your six, eight months, you get it here, then your taxidermist is going to take the hides, send it to his tannery. It's going to be two, three months for that. And then if your taxidermist actually doesn't have any work going on, you know, if you shot three or four mm. animals, it still takes him, you know, probably four or five months at a very minimum to get the work done. 
So it just depends on what a person wants. And like That's Alex said. Personal preference. Yeah. I mean, I've had lots of work done in South Africa, and then I've brought certain animals back here and had them done here. So, you know, everybody has their own thing, and it's just really up to personal preference. Jason, what's been one of your, I guess you've been to Africa how many times? Seven or so, give or take. He's lost track. So (laughs) what's been your your most notable experience going to Africa? Oh, man. You know, and this is going to sound kind of funny because I've killed quite a few things, but uh, really my favorite hunt is bushbuck. And there's something about going down to the Limpopo River and and having a good old time walking in the elephant or the hippo tracks you know seeing dung that's as big as your head which that's <laughs> kind of hard to imagine but it's true and and then basically bumping a bush buck and having it bark at you and scare you half to death just like a grouse would do us except for these things are you know 100 pounds and running like crazy as soon as they see you so my favorite favorite hunting experience it in south africa is is the bush buck hunt it really is and and i i hate to say it but every time i go i think well i really don't need to shoot another one <laughs> but we probably should go try just in here. case yeah, yeah. I, I think the hunt sells the bush buck not the bush buck yeah mm. And I mean, it's really, when you look at the animal, it's not one of those animals that everybody goes, oh my God, I really want to have one of those. But the the actual hunt of it is off the chart. And, and I'm a spiral guy. I, I like the, I love the eland and they have phenomenal eland. In fact, Johnny was showing me some footage of a bull they've got right now that's just an absolute toad. And they got that and the kudu and then of course the niala. You know, and the Niala is just such a regal, majestic-looking animal. And, of course, Sable, but, you know, once again, <laughs> now we just keep digressing. And we just add a couple more to this list, can't we? Well, your dad shot a Sable, right? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous animal. Man, the mount looks even even better. It's you you know, got a pet, it's, Do you get a pedestal mount? Or, yeah, yeah, you got a pedestal mount. It's sitting right behind his recliner chair at his house, and it, it's it's pretty it's pretty way cool. You know, but Alex, Johnny, I guess what's, you know, I'm sure you guys have had tons of clients. Is there anyone or any specific hunt that stands out that you guys have done over the, you know, the last 10, 10 plus years? Uh, I think any hunt is special. You know, we've, we've done so many hunts, you know, but even from the smallest, a steam buck up to the biggest, an elephant, you know, all of them has been special. Definitely for me. I, I can't think of one that really stands out. Yeah, for me as well. There's not really one but if it, say, if it involves buffalo. a war talk it's it's yeah it's, it's I, thought he was gonna, I thought he was gonna say the, the california pig is what i thought he was gonna say yeah he's yeah, a but, new believer now of our pigs yeah but i'll say one thing that really gets your your heart going and your blood pumping is hunting buffalo walking up to them seeing that that animal staring at you that's quite a sight and something to believe for yourself yeah cape buffalo is have you shot a Cape Buffalo, Jason? I have not shot a Cape Buffalo, and I am not going to shoot it with a bow. I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> going to be You've a shot big... a buffalo with a bow, but... Yeah, that was... that was yeah, Argentina, that... wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's a different story for different, a different podcast. Different story for a different podcast, you know. 
We're going to shoot a buffalo there. with a big rifle and a bigger bullet. Yeah. Okay. We Heavy. know that that thing, you don't know it's money. Lead. So, Alex, Johnny, um, we'll kind of close out here. What else do you guys have on your plans for, for, your, for your 2017 trip here in, in the U.S.? Well, we still got six days left in California and then back to Reno. And from Reno, we're flying to Indiana. And then from there, we're flying the 2nd of February, we're flying back to South Africa. So pretty quick trip then, turn around. Yeah. Yep, we're busy, but it's good. Makes the time go fly, and we can go back to the family. So. Yeah, now it's neat to, it's always neat to, it seems like every year they you guys come in and see Jason, and I'll either try to get up and see you guys or, or host you guys. Of course, tonight was fortunate because I was able to dry age some elk meat for you guys, so which was good. But um, we'll go ahead and just kind of, go around you know with everyone and just talk a little bit about you know just some closing comments and jason is there anything uh today that you'd like to close or recap on and what we talked about i just like to tell everybody it's really not that difficult to go on an african safari and i will pre-warn everybody that when you go one time and you might tell yourself i'm only going once i'll never go back that's kind of what i said on my first trip and as you know i I'm, I think it's seven times. Maybe it's six or maybe it's eight. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. But it's it just gets into your blood. And they a lot of people say that. Africa gets into your blood. And you meet great people and you build these relationships. And before you know it, all you're thinking about is, you know, every couple of years you want to just go back. And then, like I said, then you get to take somebody else with you and when you take somebody else and you relive your first experience through their eyes, it's just off the charts. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just like taking a kid on their first deer hunt. You know, you get all amped up and excited for them just as if it was your own experience. So all I can say is start saving your pennies and nickels and pack your bags and get your passport. Let's go ahead and go to Africa and have some fun. Johnny, Alex, any closing comments today from what we talked about? Well, I think Jason covered more or less everything. But, <laughs> yeah. but He's usually good but, for that. Yes. No, for sure. But like I said, I think one thing, like Jason said, it is addictive. And another thing I want to say, everybody think it's out of their reach. It is not. If, if you set your mind to it, it's, it's doable to come to, to Africa. Yeah, we didn't even talk about yeah. you know, the price. And, mm. But it is, it is relatively, in Can terms of hunting anywhere in the West... You're not going to find a better deal to go to Africa, bang for your buck, and yeah. and get that many quality animals that you guys would provide. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, Lucas, you and I have talked about it numerous times about spending, you know, let's just say a round number of $5,500, $6,000 for a deer-elk combo in Colorado where really you're probably not going to get a great animal of either species. I mean, if you really want a good one, you're looking at – you know, 10 grand for a mule deer or, you know, around that for eight grand for a, a really good quality elk hunt. I mean, you can go to Africa for five days and shoot three to five animals, depending on which ones you want for those prices. That's including airfare. You know, I mean, a lot of the hunts that we sell at the NRA dinner banquets, I mean, it's $2,500 for a two, three, or four hunter trip. I mean, if you take four guys, that's 600 and change a person. It's basically what I call a no-brainer. Sure. You know, and you can't get a hotel room at, at Shayla Lucas uh, for $100 a night. <laughs> hey, I've never stayed there. I can find that place. <laughs> 
Where's that at? Where's that located at? I don't know. I think we could Airbnb it and find it if we had to. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, um, you know, I've, I've known, like I said, I've known Alex and, and Johnny for quite a few years and, and I've been fortunate to meet them through Jason and uh, actually have a hunt on the books with them with another mutual friend. And uh, we will make it happen. It's a matter of time. You know, life tends to happen. And I think we, we tend to make excuses for certain things. But I'm getting to the point now where, you know, I've been applying in a lot of states, some states for 12 years, some states I started five years ago. But I'm going to start dumping points to start hunting again because I can build up all these points for the next 20 years and I'll never draw the tags that I want to draw. So I'm in the same point now where, um, you know, I want to go to Africa. I want to have that experience and, and it's going to be with Elon safaris because I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, uh, um, I'm committed to them. And I also, you know, know that they provide a world-class process and, and accommodations and, you know, Jason's talked about it. He's been there multiple times and had really great experiences. So, I look forward to that opportunity. Uh, hopefully uh, in 2018 will be the year that uh, we can make it out and see you guys and, and, and do that. So well, it will be great to have you there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, you know, Alex, Johnny, I want to thank you guys for, for one, being here, and, and two, for your guys' insight. Um, you know, can you just provide us a little bit of information how if someone wanted to reach out to you or get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that? Well... First of all, we've got a website, you know, www.elandsafaris.co.za. All our contact info is, is on there. And alternatively, you know, we've got Jason here in California. Phone up him. He'll get you going. Do you guys have any social media outlets that you guys use? Yes, we've, we've got a Facebook page. That's You've got a we've Facebook got. page? Yeah. Okay. Mm. And then some, so someone could go to your website and see, you know, animals that have trophies that you guys have taken, accommodations. Could they even book a hunt through the website or would they contact one of you to do that? Well, through the website, our contact info is there and will basically send an email to us that will get started the thing going. Okay. Yeah. Good. So I want to wish you guys, you know, a great stay in the U.S. Like I say, I know you guys only get here once a year, but while you're here, it's pretty busy. And I'm fortunate to cut out three to four hours of your guys' time. So I, I appreciate you guys being here and I appreciate you guys, um, you know, coming in and talking on our podcast today. So anyway, with that, we'll close out. Uh, you know, it's 2017. Um, the year's, you know, in full swing. So I hope, you know, the new year has brought good resolutions to you. Unlike Johnny <laughs> said that he already, he already blew up on his 2017 resolution. But, hey, there's nothing saying you can't have a resolution in February, right? I mean, just because it's a New Year's resolution, you know, doesn't mean that you can't have another resolution. But anyway, uh, again, want to thank you guys uh, for being on the podcast. Uh, and, uh, again, thank everyone for listening, uh, all our listeners out there. And we'll catch you guys next time for another adventure on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Ciao. Okay. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Lucas Pa, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to Podcasts app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it'll automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or just use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. 
In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Instagram at Rod N Arrow Outdoors, and Facebook, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, see you guys on the next ridge.